Great to see all of you. Uh, I hope to meet those of you. If it's your first time, I'd, I really would love to, to meet you, get to know you a little bit more uh, this evening. And um, yeah, I'd love to welcome you personally a little bit. Um, so uh, if you, this is your first time, um, or if you're returning, you know that we've been working through uh, the book of Philippians, which is a book uh, written thousands of years ago, about 2,000 years ago, um, by uh, St. Paul. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. Uh, he's a follower of Jesus, and he's writing to a church, uh, and he's writing to a church, and he's asking a lot of questions about faith, Christ, uh, being a Christian. But one of the things that he, one of the themes that he keeps coming back to over and over again is a topic of joy, a theme of joy. And he's asking, uh, how, how can we as human beings keep real, sustainable joy in our lives? How can we as Christians keep and sustain real joy in our lives? Um, Does Christianity have anything to offer that's unique or specific or different from all the other stuff that's in the world, all the other narratives and stories that will give you joy? And um, and so we've been looking at that this semester and saying, does Christianity, does this book that's thousands of years old still have something to say about joy, still have something to say about how we can have joy what we've called over the, over the semester, life-proof joy. That as our circumstances go up and down, you have a great day or a bad day, no matter how your day, how your semester, how your week has been, you're able to say, I'm okay, I'm confident, I'm hopeful, I'm even joyful. That's what we've been looking at. And uh, tonight is actually the last, we're getting to the end of the, uh, of the letter, and tonight is actually the last, uh, the last time we're going to look at this letter. And so... Really what we're going to do is look at kind of a summary of everything that we've t- looked at over the last couple of weeks as Paul gives what he calls the secret to contentment, the secret to contentment. We're going to look at, see, how in the world does Paul have, he says, I have the secret to contentment. Boy, that sounds great, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be nice? Sounds like something I would, I mean, I certainly don't have the secret to contentment. <laughs> I don't have a life-proof joy. Even today, I can, we'll talk about earlier, like I had stuff happen today that has just threw me off once again. And so we're all in this struggle of, so let's look and see what Paul has to say. And uh, yeah, if you have your uh, bulletin, look with me at the text. This is Philippians chapter 4, <clears throat> verses 10 through 13. This is God's word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have re- revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, But you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. Let me pray first real quick. Father in heaven, uh, thanks for the opportunity once again to gather together at your feet, all of us, um, that the ground is truly level when you are before us and that when your word is open before us that I am just as much a student as everyone else uh, and that your spirit teaches us through this collection of books and in through this paragraph that we'll read tonight. We pray that your spirit would be present and that you would speak through me, uh, to our hearts and lives and world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So again, Paul says here, he says, okay, I've learned the secret to contentment, right? You see that already in the text in front of you. It's, it's clear. He says, in every circumstance, 
every circumstance, any and every circumstance. He says, in hunger, in abounding, anything. I have the secret to contentment. Now, what is that? I know that when I first, when I read this book, I'm like, come on, Paul, just tell me what it is. What is it? And uh, it's interesting because he doesn't exactly tell us, but I think probably what he's doing here is, again, think about where we are in this book. I think he's summarizing everything that he's talked about the last, well, for us, semester. And he's basically saying, think through everything that I've talked about over this letter that I've written you. All the stuff that we've gone over. He says, when life's in the midst of life's up and downs, the stuff we've talked about, that is the secret to, the contentment, to contentment. That is this life-proof joy. Remember, I talked about it. It's like a, a life-proof phone case. You can do whatever you want to it. It's going to be okay. That is the sort of thing that he says is on offer in Christianity here, he says. So he says, but to, to do that, first we need to recognize that there is... <laughs> In every and any and every circumstance covers a pretty broad spectrum, right? Covers a lot of life that can happen and all that. There can be really high highs, there can be really low lows, right? That's the first thing I want us to look at tonight, is the, the reality of life's ups and downs. The reality of life's ups and downs. And we don't need to spend a lot of time on this because I know for many of you, you're in the middle of that. You have a great week when you get a good test grade, and then you have a terrible week when the bottom seems to fall out of your life. Um, when something happens. And uh, the reality is we're all in that. We are all in this up and down cycle, right? Just today, I had um, a really good friend who died this morning. Um, and uh, he, was, he was 50 years old. He'd been married for just five years. And um, he left behind a wife. And I, I haven't cried about it yet, but I will. And it's just like, doggone it. Why does this happen? Why does... Why does this happen to this woman who was single for so long and then finds the guy that she wants to marry, is married for five years, and then he dies? Like, what the, what the heck? And all of you know of something like that is happening in your life or in your family's life. You know of friends who have OD'd. You know of um, car accidents. Sad, hard things that in all of this stuff, these are the things that wreck joy, right? These are the things that when life hits, it makes this sort of joy that Paul is talking about. You could say the secret to contentment and joy in that. Or maybe it's not when the totally, when the bottom falls out of your life. Maybe it's just the grind, right? The grind of living in everyday life, of academic pressure, of fear, trying to figure out how in the world am I going to pay for next semester? How in the world am I going to go home for Thanksgiving when I've got this uncle who just grates on my nerves I have to see again? Family issues, divorce, siblings, all that. Then there's just the normal humdrum stuff that we face every day. Just straight up loneliness. Loneliness kills our joy, right? I talk with students all week long. And I, I mean, I talk, almost everybody I talk to. That's a, that's a part of your week. is just a part of your month, a part of your semester. It's just, I feel lonely. I feel like I'm the only person here in a lot of ways. I, again, I don't even talk about it a whole lot because this is where most of us are. We're in this real life of ups and downs, right? Where it's just like, how am I supposed to have contentment, joy con- in the midst of this? Now, it does beg the question, why is life like this? Why does life 
do this to us, beat us up. Why is joy so hard? And I think, I say this a lot, but I think if you're not a, I think if you're not a Christian, you have a hard time explaining it. Honestly, you have a hard time explaining why joy is hard. So for some of us, many of us, we live in, in what's called the Western world. And, and across Western, I studied philosophy in, uh, in my undergrad. And a lot of Western thought has said that the problem with the world is a lack of education. The problem with the world is a lack of education. This goes all the way back to Plato, the great Greek philosopher. And he says, basically, just people don't know what's good for them. They, don't, they need educating. They're ignorant. So if we can just educate people, then we can start to solve society's problems. If we just learn how to beat cancer, if we just learn how to better work politics, and then we can, then it, basically, if we, can just, if we can just become more educated and less ignorant, then there, we can actually increase in knowledge, then we can increase in money, we can increase in wealth, and we'll actually start to solve our problems. And we'll actually start to maybe actually be content and joyful. Seems plausible, right? Seems like something that we want. Here's the problem. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Now, how, you, just, you prove it, Jonathan. Prove it. How do you know that it doesn't work? Well, here's the reality. Statistically speaking, I can show you the statistics. Countries that are the most advanced technologically, the most advanced sociologically, what we would consider like first world countries, also have the highest suicide rates, the highest depression, the highest anxiety, the highest unhappiness. It's the countries that, that we say are, have sol- are, are solving, are in the process of solving the problem. They're the ones who are actually the worst off in a lot of ways. It's the countries that would seem like they've actually solved it in the Western solution or are solving it that are actually very joyless places. Think about a college campus. Here's a bastion of knowledge, of learning. If there's any place where we should say, oh, we're figuring this out, it should be here. And yet, why is it that teen and college suicide rates are skyrocketing? Why is it that all of us 100% of us struggle with chronic anxiety and even depression. I I think there's more happening than just ignorance. Some other solutions. Maybe Maybe it's like class conflict or oppression, power struggle. It's the man beating up on the little guy. It's the whites against the blacks. It's the rich against the poor. There's just some sort of power class that's beating up, and that's the problem. That's what keeps us keeps us from joy. And so the, end, the solution is simple. Just end oppression. Just end oppression. We just got to rage against the machine, form a, play, a society where there's no more conflict, no more oppression, and we'll bring joy. That sounds good. That sounds like that could possibly work. But again, there's a problem. First of all, it begs the question, how are you going to end oppression? Well, you got to use oppression. <laughs> If you're going to end oppression, you've got to use oppression. You've got to beat the guy up top. And the only way to do that is to be stronger, bigger, and badder, which is only going to make him matter, which is only going to steamroll the whole cycle further along. And that's what we see all around the world, right? Any kind of revolutionary solution just makes it worse. And then the other problem is that maybe you do do that. It just creates a new power. It just creates the guy that was down here is now up here who's going to start beating up on the guys down here again. And it just rolls itself forward. So oppression, just stopping oppression isn't going to bring joy. 
There's a whole bunch of other solutions that we can talk about if you're interested that I just don't think are going to get to the heart of why joy is hard, why we're struggling to find joy. I think that the Christian answer is the only answer that really sticks because it gets to the heart at it. It goes deep enough to actually talk about it, and it's this. The reality is that joy is elusive and hard for us because of sin. Joy is elusive and hard and so difficult for us to get our hands on because of sin. The Bible talks about the Bible talks about sin as the thing which alienates us from God fundamentally, but then it starts to alienate us from each other, alienate us from ourselves, alienate us from the world around us. And as we begin more, become more and more isolated and more and more selfish, we become more and more joyless. We become more and more destructive against others. The Bible turns this mirror on us and says, you're the, you're the source of joylessness. You are the source of what's wrong in our world. It's not out there, it's in here. That the problem of joy is located in between. It, it radiates, it starts in my heart, it starts in your heart, and radiates out into the world. Joy is hard because of sin. Joy is hard because we are sinners. We've seen that in this book. We see this all over Scripture. We create a world where stuff happens. We brought sin into the world. We brought brokenness into the world. And now we're in this system that just wrecks us. And yet, and yet, in this very sinful, broken world, Paul says, I have learned the secret to contentment in all circumstances. Well, what is that? What is that secret to contentment in this world where the problem is as deep as your and my sin? Well, I think the solution that he gives us is that it's in God's great gifts. It's in God's great gifts. That's the solution that he... And that's in the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel literally means the good news. It's an old Germanic word that means good spell or good story. That's the translation of gospel. It's good news that starts to say, God has come and dealt with sin. He has come and dealt with sin. And if you begin to deal with sin, then you can actually start to push back against the thing that it robs our joy. We can start to push back against the thing that makes us collapse in ourselves starts to create that, that, that robs us of joy and creates that selfishness. When we start to solve sin, or when God starts to solve our sin, then we have the secret to joy. Well, how have we seen that? And again, he tells us, he says the secret to it, he says it's in everything that I've told you over the last letter. Everything that I've said, well, what has he said over this letter? He says the first and greatest gift that God has given us is Christ himself. The first and greatest gift that, Christ, that God has given us is Christ himself. He is the best solution to sin, and therefore he is the greatest source of joy in our world. Remember what he says in Philippians 2. We've talked about this. He says, Jesus, the God-man, the God-man, God with skin on him, flesh in him, he died in our place, took the sin on himself so that we could live forever. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. In a sentence, it's, it's this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. 
that through Jesus Christ, he takes our sin and we get his life. That's where it starts. That's the ground zero epicenter of joy that it goes out. It's deliverance from sin, pulling us out of it and starting us off. But that's not where it stops. It doesn't just stop with that. Joy doesn't just start with who, or what Christ has done. It also goes forward into the hope. It goes forward into the hope. You can't have joy if you don't have hope that what's the crap that you're in was going to stop. Well, Christian hope says that there is an end for the crap that you're in, that God is actually taking us a place, that he's going someplace. Remember what Paul says in Philippians 3. We've talked about this. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await what? The Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Well, now what does that mean? It means that for those who trust in Jesus, death is not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story. It means that the worst thing that can happen to you and me, the lowest low, the worst thing that can happen to you and me is actually the thing that could actually be the best thing that can happen to us. That no matter what happens to us, God is going to bring us to himself, bring us to glory. And it's not some, we've talked about this, it's not some sort of sitting up in a clouds with a harp and a halo and a white suit. It's, it's community with each other It's community with God himself that's going to look shockingly like our world, but perfect. That's citizenship in heaven. And if that's the goal towards which we are going, boy, we can endure just about anything on this side of it, right? Imagine you're supposed to dig a latrine hole over any mountain. I know it sounds gross, but imagine that's what you have to do. And it's in mid-June. It's 100 degrees out there. You're dying. And you know at the end, someone's going to pay you 20 bucks. What you, you're just going to be like, oh my gosh, absolutely, I am done. I am not digging another inch. I am done with this. I cannot do anymore. Now, the person comes up to you and says, I'm going to pay you 10 million bucks when you're done. You're going to be like, no problem. Here I am <laughs> digging a hole. <laughs> no problem whatsoever. That's what happens. That's what happens when we have the hope of glory ahead of us. We are joyful in the midst of our our struggles and trials, knowing that the riches of heaven, that's that's the words that Scripture uses to describe heaven. It's an inheritance. It's riches. It's wealth that is ours by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's true, you and I, we can endure the crap of this world with joy knowing that I've said this already that the bad things cannot last the good things can't be taken away and the best is yet to come that's what hope that's what Christian hope is Christian hope is the belief the trust that the bad things cannot last the good things can't be taken away and the best is yet to come that's Christian hope now these two things Christ and hope. They feel really abstract, right? They feel really abstract. Does God give us gifts that can actually be real, can feel tangible in our real? He will does. He does. He gives us things that can actually give us here and now joy. And we've talked about this over. The next one he gives us is community. He gives us each other. He gives us more than just, all right, Jonathan, you're 
ticket to heaven is checked, go out and just do your thing by yourself until Jesus comes back. No! We've seen over and over through the semester that God is in the process of forming a community of followers of Him who are to called and commanded and we get the, the honor and the delight of walking through this together. God gives us joy through the community. So like I said today, my friend just recently lost her husband. But she has been surrounded by a group of women, about eight women, who she's been in a small group with for the last six months. And they've been walking through this with her. They, know, they knew that he was terminally ill. They've been praying with her. They've been processing with her. The minute she called, they were all in her house at 5.30 this morning. All of them were there. They were present with her, weeping with her, laughing with her. I mean, doing hard stuff like, okay, we got to figure out what to do with the body now. That's what community is. That's what Christian community is, is when people come into your life and say, you are not alone. I want to walk through this with you. I am sticking with you through the, through the pain. That is what Christian joy does for us. It gives us a community that says, you are not doing this on your own. That's what we want RUF to be, is that community that when you are at your lowest in the semester, you can come in here and say, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. And we say, yeah, none of us are. Welcome to the party. But we're in the process together of seeing how Jesus can transform that. It's awkward, it's hard, but it's literally life-saving for us. The implication is you and I, we got to be in community. And we need to be in a Christian community of people who are saying Jesus Christ is our only source of joy. Heaven is our only ultimate source of joy. Get together as Christians and let's figure it out together. So that when the bottom falls out of your life, you have people there. I've said this already, there's another, that's another reason why we need to be in church. Because this group is pretty homogenous in a lot of ways. It's a bunch of 20-year-olds who are trying to figure out how to do life. That's a recipe for disaster. <laughs> this is why church is so important, because it's a group of people who have walked in all stages of life who are coming together and saying, we think Jesus Christ is the best hope for our world. Let's muddle through it together. And we can ask those who have gone ahead of us, how do we do this? He gives us one other thing, one other thing that's the secret to joy. Prayer. Christ, hope, community, and prayer. And we talked about this just, just a couple of weeks ago. Well, what is prayer? It's when we pray, we admit that we are out of control in our lives, that we are careening down this road of life, trying to scramble together grades and relationships and money and job and internship, trying to cobble it all together and having no control. It's like driving with a broken steering wheel, right? Like in a cartoon, they're just driving, they're like, Ugh. that's what I feel like my life is like most of the time. I have no control over what's happening. And I'm going to have a baby in March, and it's going to get worse. <laughs> what is prayer? Prayer is when we go before God our Father and say, I, am, I have no control over what is happening in my world right now, and I need you to be in control. Help me trust that Jesus is enough. Help me trust that the hope is present and is coming. Help me grow in all of that. 
Help me grow in my faith. And as we do these things, as we learn prayer, as we dig into community, as we grow in our hope, that's where we get, begin to see joy. That's where we can actually begin to trust that God is working to bring joy, to work joy in our lives. And it's a process, y'all. I'm not going to say you're going to wake up tomorrow and just be infinitely joyful. You're going to be bulletproof. No, it takes time. It takes work. But, that, but I want you to see that God has given you and me the tools that we need to develop, to grow in life-proof joy. Well, he says that. If that's true, if this is the secret to contentment, then Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, this is probably one of the most quoted verses of the Bible. You've probably heard it, even if you've never come from a Christian tradition. And it uh, it's actually is pretty abused. We just kind of slap it on things, right? It kind of becomes like the Christian Nike logo. Just do it, <laughs> Right? Just like, oh, I can do all things. I can do all things. And just kind of like stick it on like before a football championship. Oh, I can do all things. Or just before a test. Oh, I can do all things. That's not what this is about. That's not what Paul is talking about here. What this verse is actually talking about, the emphasis is not on I can do all things. The emphasis is on I can do all things through Him. Through Him who strengthens me, that God has given me all of the resources, everything that I need to make it through this life with joy. Through Him, God has given us everything that we need. What's the secret then to joy? What is the secret to joy? The the secret to, to joy is learning to grow and trust in together Jesus Christ. Learning to grow and trust together Jesus Christ. It takes time, but it's doable. Blaise Pascal, he's a philosopher in the 1600s. Um, brilliant philosopher, if you ever read some of his stuff. And for, He was not a Christian. Um, and then at one point, it all sort of made sense to him. It all kind of clicked for him. And he, he had this pretty radical conversion experience. And after he died, there was this journal entry that was sewn into his clothes um, and they, that they found. And um, I'm going to read it. It's kind of long, but it's amazing. What he says here, he says... He says, the year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd of November, Feast of St. Clement, about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight. And this is his journal. He says, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of the philosophers and of the learned, certitude, certainted, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God will be my God forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. I have departed from him. They have forsaken me, the fount of living water. My God, will you leave? Let me not be separated from him forever. This is eternal life, that they know you the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I left him. I fled him, renounced, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel. Renunciation, total and sweet. Complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. 
eternally enjoy for a day's exercises on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. Y'all hear what he's saying? That as he sat, as he thought, as he meditated on the gospel, it hit him. It worked in him. That's what you and I are called to do, is to, to sit in it. Talk with me about it. Talk with each other about it. And God will be faithful. He will give you that joy. He's not going to be like, I'm, he's not like, I'm going to hold it from this one. I'm going to withhold joy from that one. No, he's a good father who will give you joy. All you have to do is trust in who Jesus is. Get involved in the community and lean into it. God is faithful in that. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, thanks for your word. Thanks for how you meet us very, very really and tangibly with um, the world that we live in that's often so broken and hurting and afflicted and that you give us a way to joy in the midst of it. We pray, Father God, that in our lives, as we muddle through, as we try to figure out uh, how to follow you, that you would give us a piece of your spirit, that you would give us courage to pursue you, and that you would give us joy. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.